Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chishang, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing Shadow and Bone on Netflix and The Mosquito Coast on Apple TV, two book adaptations in extremely different genres. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> what have you been up to this week, Jenny? What's been going on? Lately, I have found myself revisiting Top Chef, which is very exciting because it's a show that I watched a lot, I want to say, in like high school, and then I dropped off because obviously college, no cable. Yeah, life happened. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I I watched like last year's season. Um, I'm not Mm. caught up on this current season that's airing yet, but then, you know, I went back in the last couple of seasons, and then now I'm kind of rewinding even further and starting from 2006. the se- last season I think I saw ever. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know what to say, except this remains like a top tier reality competition show. So I have a question for you because this year's Top Chef is the first Top Chef that I've watched. Oh, right? okay. Was it always like this? Has anything changed about it? Well, I don't know what is happening this year specifically. You're talking about the one that's like currently airing. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, not not the content of it. I know that it's gotten like way more woke than than it used to. I know that it's just the SponCon in it. Is oh, really throwing me for a loop. Oh, so. okay, that is totally yeah. That has been part of its lineage oh, forever. I don't know what I really don't know how I feel about it right now. Oh yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. I don't know whether my beef with it is because it's on Bravo and I don't like the way that they format the shows and. It feels kind of like it's clashing with the mission statement of the show itself, where it's about like excellence in cooking and knowing how to cook. And then it's kind of dropped into this Bravo world of like cheesy American garishness that I can't get behind. I don't know. Maybe I'm because I used to watch I, I watched MasterChef back in the UK when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of more the wave that I'm looking for. But I'm going to keep watching it. I'm going to finish it. I will say the all-star seasons, the quality is a lot better in general. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I think this the currently Aaron season is not an all-star. Is that right? Uh, No, no, it's not. No, I don't think it is. No. If you go back to, let's say you want to give last year's season a try, the one that aired um, in 2020, that one is an all-stars set in LA, and it was a really good reintroduction to the, the series as a whole because... I mean, across the board, the talent, the quality, mm. um, you know, the setting, LA is like a great place to host, host this. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is just like a really good example of how good the show can be. Yeah. I mean, I listen, this is a show for all of America. So I, I understand it has to be a little bit more accessible in the way that it's formatted and the way that it's presented. I get all of that. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a very large pinch of salt for it to kind of suit my taste because I'm a fucking snob and I like snobby TV and even like reality TV shows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about you? What's going on in your world? So I was on a plane for the first time in a year and a bit. It was for work and it was like a one day trip, but it was just very weird to be in an airport again, I've got to say. <laughs> was it busy? Uh, mm, no, I mean, I was like I was on a weekday. I was at JFK and it was quieter than I thought it would be. It was just very, you know what, you know what I've missed? I've missed seeing all the American archetypes in the airport. <laughs> like that, there's always that one girl that someone tweeted it the other day, and I'll I'll find it. But there's always one girl that looks like an American 
doll. There's always one girl that's like the college outfit of like the large, um, the large hoodie Lards. with the tiny, tiny yeah. shorts and the oh, slides. All the time, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting seeing that. And then, you know, the usual insane American thing of like applauding soldiers when they get on a plane. Uh, <laughs> that will, I will never understand that, but that's just, that's just my British sensibilities. It yeah. was just funny. It was funny to, you know, experience that again. Yeah, um, the airport and like, just as like with a, I don't know, a train hub or whatever. It's mm. like, like the best thing you could possibly go to them for besides, of course, the function, which is traveling. Is, yes. Yeah. Observation. People observation. Observation. We love to people watch. But <laughs> I was, I have found out that my bandwidth and my patience for being on a plane has reduced dramatically. So mm. I guess I need to like build up my stamina again for it because I'm going to be going to the UK in June. Um, uh, so it was overseas. Yeah, it was just like it was a two-hour flight, which before pandemic, fucking light work. Like, yeah, I, you know, not a problem. But after an hour and a half, I was like, get me the fuck off this plane. Was it which is a problem having to wear the mask or like just like being like confined to the seat? Just, or just space? being confined. Okay, and it and it wasn't like I wasn't being entertained. Like I, I had my TV shows downloaded, so I was watching them, and they were great. And yet, you know. I Jeez. I was extremely like get me the fuck because when you've been confined already to a small apartment I feel like yeah, you know stepping down to worse. one seat on a plane because I didn't go to the bathroom once either so it was just like, oh right I'm just yeah. in the seat um, I, everything but, yeah. will be just like so disgusting to me now yeah. Yeah, Ugh. everything is gross. Anyway, back to <laughs> back to some semblance of normalcy. I guess I'm grateful for that at the very least. Yeah. Um, speaking of. Normalcy, or I guess the opposite of it. What a segue. What a fucking shitty segue. <laughs> we are what? trying every week. I'm trying. I'm going to get better <laughs> on my segues. I promise. <laughs> what was it that you watched this week, Jenny? What was on your mind? So I watched Shadow and Bone on Netflix. Mm. So Shadow and Bone is a TV adaptation of Lee Bardugo's Grishaverse, like YA fantasy novels. It was developed for Netflix by Eric Heisserer, who wrote Arrival, Bird Box, etc. So this guy has actually like written quite a few movies. Yeah, he, uh, he knows how to adapt a book. Yeah. So this, I'm going to try to explain it badly, because A, I have not read the books, so just I'm going to put that out there first. Yeah. And B, it gets a little bit... I mean, there's a lot going on, so mm, mm. Uh, because it combines characters and elements from different books in the series, and they just like they're trying to pack a lot into this one short season. But more or less, there is this war-torn kingdom called Ravka, based on Tsarist Russia. It is sort of split in half by something called the Fold, which is this swath of land that is enshrouded in permanent darkness, filled with monsters, very difficult to cross, etc. There's the main character, Alina, who discovers that she is a Grisha, and that is like a magic user, or if you've ever watched Avatar The Last Airbender, kind of like someone who, again, like can bend the elements. Um, she discovers she can summon light, which is more or less kind of like the stuff of fables and legends like it does not people did not know this even existed in real life yeah she gets taken away from her childhood best friend mal who she kind of is in love with and is taken under the wing of general kerrigan played by the hottie ben barnes Absolutely. <laughs> um, yes so he is a shadow summoner who commands all of the grisha as part of like the king's imperial army or whatever Meanwhile, on the other side of the fold, there's this city called Amst uh, Ketterdam, which is sort of like an Amsterdam uh, place where this 
criminal teenage question mark a young criminal gang gets tasked with kidnapping alina for you know a really large sum of money and then there is a third the most minor storyline involves like an enemy to lover romance kind of thing between a grisha and a witch hunter from this scandinavia like country so that is kind of a summary the reason i wanted to watch this is because I mean, one, you know, I'm a sucker for fantasy sometimes. And then B, there were so many comparisons to Game of Thrones. Like, so many places writing, like, Netflix finally has its own Game of Thrones. Which I, after watching it now, I don't really find that an accurate comparison. What I about agree. you, Palin? I agree. I mean, if anything, it's a, it's it's basically like an amalgamation of every single fantasy story where it's there's some kind of geopolitical problem that's happening within this world. Mm-hmm. There's a hero, usually yes. reluctant. <laughs> yes, um, the call the hero, yeah. Yes, and you know, usually naive, especially if they're a girl. And yes. and then it's basically all the different forces that are trying to angle towards some kind of geopolitical conclusion that suits their needs so in the geopoliticalness of it it does it is similar to game of thrones because there's a lot going on and it's it's actually interesting how much it is similar to the real world in that there's the russian side of it Mm -hmm. and then there's a chinese side of it or it's meant to be chinese yeah uh, the shuhan and then you've got the fjorden who are the nordics who are like the super conservative hate hate the grisha yeah, hunt witches, etc. Yeah, and like it, it's rooted in the real world in that, like you know, geographically, this is kind of almost the same if you just skip over a couple of countries. I do find that part of it very similar to Game of Thrones, but especially like with the different forces that are trying to uh, win their war, whatever that might be. But other than that, no, like I don't think it's I don't think it's the next Game of Thrones, no. Yeah, it is. Now that you spell it out like that, like the chosen one kind of storyline, it's a lot more like traditionally, I guess, like the narrative arc is a lot more like traditional uh, in that sense compared mm-hmm. to everything happening in Game of Thrones, actually. Like for all that Game yeah. of Thrones is a high fantasy, like in the style of Lord of the Rings. Yes. There is like a lot going on in that. Yeah. Versus uh, this one, there is a lot going on, but they are a lot more along like these traditional structures and like narrative threads. Yeah. And Game of Thrones also, I will say, like so far has a lot more like world building complex storylines i presume like a much much higher budget like they're just they're very different beasts um and it's it's hard to compare but i guess the comparison is kind of like illustrative of like netflix and other streaming platforms efforts to basically cement their own game of thrones aka like a fantasy epic that can stretch across many seasons you know provide a lot of ip like spinoffs um cultivate a really dedicated fan base etc and maybe this could be one of that type like that type of show for netflix from what i've seen like it seems to have been in in like netflix's top 10 or whatever for Mm -hmm. you know quite a bit this past couple weeks and the books definitely have a dedicated fan base and a lot of them i know because i'm getting served like tiktoks or whatever (laughs) that are like shadow and bone just because i've been googling stuff about this and Man, the fans are really into it, and a lot of yeah. them are doing that thing where they're, like, pretending they're above everyone else because they read the books first, um, which is, oh, yeah. like, okay, they're teenagers. I get yeah. it. This is what you do as a teen. You get territorial over the things and the fandoms that you love. But Yeah. Yeah. From what I can tell, that has a very dedicated fan so far. 
Well, I think I think the reason why it's in the top ten is understandable. Partly, obviously, I don't know how popular the books are. I never read them, but um, it looks fantastic. Like everybody's hot. Well, almost. Everybody. Yes, almost yes. everybody's hot. Um, big, every, big every, bonus. The costume and the production design is incredible. It's mm-hmm. like the costume design, especially. Oh my god, it's so nice. Like it's just such a visual treat to watch it. So obviously, everyone's gonna get into it because it looks and feels expensive. Yes, but what you what you said about every like Netflix trying to sh- to get its own fantasy, you know, epic in the style of game of thrones did you ever watch carnival row on amazon prime no is that the one that's orlando bloom and cara delavina that's the one yes so that was it just made me think of that because that was amazon prime's attempt at oh, something did like that, that flop it, i mean no one's no one's to i watched it because i was just like what the fuck is going on here like i remember getting a screener for it before yeah. in the mail how like is it actually good it looked no I mean, just the art looked kind of cheesy, so I was like, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah, like, no, no, it's not good. I, I think it, it's, okay, I'm not going to say it's bad. It's okay, <laughs> but it definitely is, it looks cheaper than this, like, than mm. um, Shadow and Bone. But it's just fascinating seeing everybody try it. Carnival Row is a little bit more adult than this, but I think Shadow and Bone's downfall will essentially be the reason of its existence, which is that it's a YA novel, yeah. or it's based on one. If this was more of an adult novel, or if it gave more adult energy, it's trying, don't get me wrong, like, they really are trying. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it might be, would have been able to pull it off, but because of the nature of its essence, I don't know if it'll ever reach Game of Thrones yeah. uh, heights, you yeah. know? it's lacking that kind of maturity. And I will add, like, from what I've read, Shadow and Bone, the first book of the series is like everyone acknowledges including the author the fans whatever they acknowledge that this first book that like half of this series is based on so far Mm. is by far the weakest you know book Mm. and story in her the author's entire series yeah um people say like part of the pleasure of reading her series is that she improves with each book and you can kind of see that and so by the time she actually gets around to doing the the stuff in ketterdam involving like the the gangs and stuff Mm -hmm. people say that's a lot more interesting and a little bit much more mature and just better written so Mm -hmm. it is kind of interesting how they basically kind of smash together a prelude to that storyline um, into yeah. mixing it with like the weakest storyline, which as they pointed out is very tropey and very predictable in many ways. Yeah. And Vox has a pretty good review, I think in which they kind of discuss it's a negative review. Essentially they called yeah, it yeah. a yeah. muddled joyless checklist of fantasy tropes, but they have a pretty good piece um, that I'll link in the newsletter about like why, you know, in some ways, this doesn't hit for, you know, the writers who are reviewing this, especially if they've read the books or they're kind mm-hmm. of familiar with how fantasy works. Yeah. But yeah, I'll say also, like, just a fair warning if you're watching this, it does take a little bit of work, like, probably extracurricular reading or just like Googling to catch up with, like, what the fuck is going on mm. in terms of, like, what is Grisha? Like, what, what are these different types of Grisha? Like, what, yeah. how, how does this work and stuff like that? Yeah, um, but for what it's worth, I do like that they just throw you into the world and you just have to figure it out. You figure it's like sink or swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fine. Like as long as you Google just the main uh, elements of the world, you will figure it out. And for the most part, like TV shows that throw you into the world and just you know don't talk down to you, 
it does a really good job of not making the expository scenes or lines feel too obvious um, as exposition, basically. So it it, it does do that for you at some point. Um, It does explain the nature of the terminology that they use or what that means, uh, but they don't do it immediately. Yeah, you just sit tight a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's not not a patronizing watch, basically. Which uh, storyline happens to be your favorite so far? You know, I'm really, I don't know if it's because she is my favorite, but I really love Inej. Um, Oh, yeah. She is beautiful, (laughs) like just in general. Oh, gorgeous um, definitely part of the I, eye candy yeah i think it's amita suman who plays mm-hmm. her first of all just incredible character just the way that she looks what she does her backstory is pretty interesting um i'm just interested to see where she goes because you can see faith becoming quite a strong undercurrent in this yeah. world and she is like representative of that i guess um mm-hmm. So she, I find her interesting, and it's funny because, like, she, much like the lead, Alina, she is also an orphan of some kind. Um, so it's interesting to see how they both will, I guess, be parallel to one another, uh, because mm-hmm. they had such similar but also different upbringings. Um, yeah. Cause one, she is essentially an indentured slave. Yeah, or a servant who was of some kind. essentially like bought out by a, a brothel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then now she is, she's working for, this character named Kaz, who is the yeah. leader of kind of one of the factions of gangs. And so, you know, kind of doing work for, for him so she doesn't have to do work for the brothel. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. How about, who, who's your favorite character? I, as a whole, I definitely do like the the Ketterdam gang yeah, like, hijinks so yeah. far. It's, it's much more fun compared to the kind of like predictable, just like very eye-rolly Alina side of this. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm liking Freddie C- Carter as, as Kaz mm-hmm. Brecker so far. Yeah, he's I am not familiar with Freddie Carter at all, but it was just like, the physical embodiment starting with that like of just like these these sunken eyes and like these extremely sharp like cheekbones and yeah. like the the dark eye circles i was like yeah this guy definitely he's doing some shady shit and he run, runs a gang i can totally yeah. believe that totally yeah but yeah let's talk about what we don't like about the alina storyline i yeah. guess since that is like at least half of this if not more since it takes sort of a lot of the weight of this series so far yeah my issue is kind of primarily with her character mm-hmm. like it's fine if it's a you know a chosen one storyline it's it's a trope whatever classic classic narrative structure like so many stories use that and it's totally fine but yeah. at least do something more interesting with the character i think so far she's just been so blank such a like chameleon of like just like embodying a tiny bit of every single different kind of trait out there without really coming form into a fully fleshed character on yeah. her own yeah She's very reactive to her surroundings, which you don't yes. really want that from a protagonist. Like you want your protagonist yes. to have a sense of stubbornness about her. And like you do see it because she does push back against this idea of being, I guess, you know, the chosen one or the one to save them all. But at the same time, you don't really get an idea of what it is that drives her apart from being mixed. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's extremely like I'm mixed. Like that's basically her whole fucking thing, which is yeah. usually the case for a lot of mixed people. <laughs> like that's their entire personality. Yes. But 
this is this is like it's further cementing that so it's annoying yeah and not to say that you know in this particular world there isn't prejudice because she's half shu which is you know essentially half chinese and that's a problem for the russian side of things but her and mal are both mixed and they both grew up in an orphanage and they found each other and they you know the whole thing is like i'm trying to i'm i don't want to be seen like i want to blend into the background i don't want anyone to pick on me like all that shit but at the same time yeah. like come on babes like give me, you gotta give me something. You gotta give me yes. some kind of personality beyond that, and you don't get it, which is you know irritating. Yeah, and probably it could be helped a little bit, you know, if the acting was just like sublime. But I'll <laughs> yeah. say, like, unfortunately, yeah. Jesse May Lee, I she's still quite young. I think maybe in her mid twenties, but that's she's not, not really, young. She's, listen, she's, she's, she's not is, really doing it. <laughs> no, this listen, this is a very deep bench of British actors that know what the fuck they're talking about, and she's letting the team down. All right, yeah, I get it. She's gorgeous, you know. Again, the mixed privilege is showing its fucking ass. <laughs> but you need <laughs> you you again. You got to give us something, babe. Like everybody's yeah. out acting her, which is a problem. Um, yeah, yeah, and just making everything so much more compelling than her when she is the person that we spend the most time with, yeah. which is a problem. It is very, her acting style is kind of similar to the character, which is funny, which is just very reactive. Yeah, There's just like the same shot of her like wide eyes, mouth slightly agape and like, <gasps> like oh no, or I'm outraged or I'm terrified. Yeah. It, it all looks the same. And yeah. that's... I mean, please, Shadow and Bone stands, do not come for us for this. I know that you love your queen, Jessie, and yeah. hopefully she'll improve. But uh, so far, this is by far the least interesting part of this whole thing. Yeah, it's funny that, It's funny how much we were like praising stan culture before in previous episodes, and now it's come to bite us in the ass because <laughs> this is an instance where stan culture is um, maybe needs a little bit of a reality check. Um, she's just cute, man. Like she's just really pretty. She looks great in the like the kefters or whatever the fuck they're called, mm-hmm. which is weird because that's basically meatball in Turkish. But never mind. Yeah, I was like, that's a Turkish word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, she looks great. But if this season is to progress, where she has to basically be in the underworld to survive, um, and she will eventually have that transformation where she gets a little bit more street smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, I don't know. We need to see that. I do still. I, I've been really enjoying it for the most part, though, um, mm-hmm. just because I n- never really was into fantasy novels that much growing up. Like, I had a select few. Uh, you got me into, like, His Dark Materials, for example. Like, I don't really watch mm-hmm. it on TV, but I watched His Dark Materials and I really liked it, liked it. And I'd also never read the books for that either. But yeah, I guess that box was empty and this is doing a pretty decent job of filling up that box. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, for the weaknesses that I've named so far, you know, <laughs> being a little bit messy or one note sometimes, it's definitely fun. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed watching it. And I'm really interested in seeing how they develop, you know, the next season or the subsequent seasons, because they set up a lot so far that is not really resolved in this, of course, like mm-hmm. it's going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited to see where like the seeds like planted where they go further yeah um so yeah it's not it's not a game of thrones for sure but not everything has to be like it's its own kind of little steampunk darling of its own and yeah i'm enjoying it so far i guess i'll continue watching it for all that i'm bitching about it yeah I, and I, because I, I have like fucking two degrees in, in international politics. I'm excited about the geopolitical, <laughs> the geopolitical nature of it. Yeah. Like I'm excited to go to Shuhan. I, I'm on it. I just finished episode five. I, I, do they go? Did you finish it? 
Yeah, I'm done with it. They don't really touch Yuhan more in this okay. season, but I have heard, you know, according to the books or whatever, it should play a larger role in nice. future seasons. Sick. Yeah, I'm excited for that, and I'm excited to see how China responds to it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's good. Yes. It's good. You're gonna have a. You're gonna have to have a very delicate hand with how you how you handle that one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the downsides of it being a little, a little bit, very similar to the real world, as opposed to a little bit more rooted in fantasy. But yeah. All right, now take us away from fantasy, Helen. What did you watch this week? So I started watching The Mosquito Coast, and it's on Apple TV. I know. I'm sorry for anyone that doesn't have Apple TV. <laughs> It is only two episodes are out so far. It's a week to week, which I'm really grateful for. Like I do need a week to week release situation. The Mosquito Coast is loosely based on the book by Paul Theroux. And the Theroux are pretty famous if you haven't heard of them. There's Louis Theroux, if you're British, who is the kind of, I guess, the documentarian in some sense of the word. Uh, there's Paul Theroux, the novelist, and then there's Justin Theroux, who you guys know as the American actor and the hottie and my secret husband, basically. <laughs> so the I, I say it's loosely based. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the Mosquito Coast is about a family on the run. Who, they're led by their patriarch, Ali Fox, who is Justin Theroux. We love nepotism. Um, Ali is <laughs> <laughs> Ali is an inventor. And we surmise in the pilot, basically, that he has committed a grave federal crime around nine years ago. And mm-hmm. he has taken his family from one location to the next in an attempt to skirt arrest, basically. So... The wife is, uh, the wife Margot is played by Melissa George and the two kids, Charlie, uh, and the elder Dina, they're played by Gabriel Bateman and Logan Polish, respectively. The, the show is led by Justin Theroux. He just, <laughs> so apparently, apparently he didn't know that they were thinking about developing the book into a TV show. And then he kind of like, I guess, strong armed his way into it. Um, but also Neil Cross, who created Luther, if you know Luther from the UK. And Tom Bissell, who is a journalist and novelist from America. So this this was also a film in 1986 based on the book. It was directed by Peter Weir. It was starring Harrison Ford. Apparently that was that one was a little bit more faithful to the book. But in the book, it's told through the perspective of Charlie, the younger son. Uh, I say younger. <laughs> There's only one son. He's the younger of the siblings. Um, and he is writing as a protagonist. He's talking about his father, Ali, who is the inventor, who becomes sick of american consumerism and basically decides to take his family off the grid and if you have seen captain fantastic the very very good matt ross film that stars viggo mortensen it's kind of like that uh but the tv show they have given ali a little bit more of an urgent narrative drive of being a fugitive essentially on the run and i guess in some sense the similarity is that they are like Ali is in the book and in the TV show, some kind of a cult leader to his family. So I have a question for you, Jenny. Are families cults? <laughs> wow. What a thing to throw out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I guess that's an interesting question. I can see, I definitely see what you mean in relation to Ali and his family. Like there are times where I was like, is he holding you all hostage? Like, why do you continue to subscribe to this? And yeah. like, like, what is it keeping you here besides, I assume, like, some kind of sense of familial love or, I don't know, trauma, like emotional blackmail? Or, yeah. Yeah, trauma or something like that. I guess it's, 
I mean, it kind of intersects with like the role of the patriarch. Mm-hmm. There's a tendency there for that to be that could be like a lot more cult like, just depending on the amount of power and like dominance that a patriarchal figure has in yeah. his family. And of course, like this can happen with matriarchs also, but patriarchs are we just see that a lot more. And yeah. cult figures, you know, if you think of them, the the really n- notorious ones, yeah, they adopt kind of like a patriarchal role. They are the father. Mm. They are the husband. Husband, yeah. Like they multiple wives, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. like all of the the members are their children. So mm-hmm. yeah, in symbolic and I guess sometimes a literal sense, it seems that there would be that kind of overlap where you're just like you're expected to choose family above all, right? Like blood yeah. above all, or just like whatever holds you to this family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess long answer. Uh, sure. I guess they can be. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're the most suitable to become that way because, like, with other forms of cults, it is there. There is no blood involved, but everything else, whether it's you know the the need to be cared by that patriarch or the need to be loved by that husband figure, um, mm-hmm. or the need to to have a cause in life through like political ideology or whatever it might be, that that replaces that blood bond but the thing about families they don't need that replacement so if you add all of that on top of it it Mm -hmm. just becomes like the perfect environment for it which we see in mosquito coast so what's interesting is once you discover that they have been moving around for nine years there's only one person that is skeptical and sick of it and that's dina the daughter she's about 50 she's 15 yeah Mm -hmm. and um you know she is getting to the age where the jig is up for her, personally speaking, of subscribing to this notion that they need each other and they need to keep moving. And she kind of wants to settle down and have her own life. But even in the pilot and in the, especially in the second episode, we see her struggling with her love for her father and her duty yeah. that she thinks she has and what she wants for herself, which, you know, listen, anybody that has a very tight knit family can see some shades of that obviously no one's on the run no one's trying to move from place to place but that feeling of like i don't know if i should do this for my family and make them happy or if i should do something that will make me happy and that kind of tension that unfolds as the eldest daughter especially is is interesting to watch um yeah that tension is by far the the most interesting thing mm-hmm. i'm finding about this so far like yeah. a lot of the relationships are just like totally inscrutable so far like between wife and husband and yeah. like you know everything but yeah i'm i like the moment in i think the first episode when she's just like trying to hide a cell phone this like basic flip phone from her father yeah. because she has kind of a, a boy she's been talking to that she likes mm-hmm. and he just like storms in he takes the cell phone and then later he like he makes it clear like no phones and then yeah. you're just like no phones at all and, like, yeah. the mom has to creep around to a payphone to even, like, contact her parents. Yeah. And just, like, just this incredible hold over this family who yeah. you're just like, what the fuck? And, um, and bear in mind, like, when we see these scenes, we don't know what it is that the issue is. We we haven't been told that they are on the run. You know, at that point, we don't know whether it's just him being an off-the-grid nut. You know, like, yeah. someone that really, really does not want to subscribe to all the shades of capitalism, you know? Yeah. So when you find out that there's a reason for that it makes it all the more pressing i guess as 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 to why but at the same time you don't understand why because yeah. why would you ever put your your family through something like this right 
Yeah. Yeah. Which brings me to another thing that I really like, which is, you know, it's been a minute since we've had a proper male anti-hero. Uh, like, I know that we're all sick of it. I know that like so many TV reviewers and so many people that talk about this culturally talk about how we have so many male anti-heroes presented to us to the point where it's getting a little bit old. But I personally love it because I don't, for the most part, I don't see these men as heroes at all. You can empathize with them, sure, because, you know, the TV show makes us empathize with them in some sense of the word. But for the most part, I hate them. I hate them so much. So that we're talking about Don Draper. We're talking about Tony Soprano. We're talking about Walter White. These are people that the reasons why they do the things that they do are the worst traits of human existence that we all in some sense or form also have within us, right? Which is why we empathize. But the way that they carry the, you know, the, the response to that, their response to that is the thing that pushes them into the anti of the anti-hero. And, you know, Justin Theroux plays him. And if you are a big Leftovers fan and you have missed him in that, this is, this is right up your alley because he's such a good actor, man. Like he's always been such a good actor, but you know, he has this conviction that he's right in what he does. And there's a sense of like patheticness about him, which mm. you can kind of see through the character, the character of his son, Charlie. Charlie worships his father. And, you know, I, I can't really talk to like son, father relationships in the way that they are. But seeing him support his father, even through his failures, it's just really, I don't know. It just, it, it, we've all been there. Like I've been there with my own dad sometimes, like where you, where you see him trying really hard to be the hero or try and be the person that is always right, that, that's always true. And then you see cracks of that as you get older. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting to see this character be played, especially by an actor like Justin Theroux, who is hot. Yes, very, very hot. <laughs> Love that. But also is such a great actor in terms of showcasing all the different tensions going on, like in his face, in his voice, in his delivery. It's just, it. I don't know. I, I really liked it. What do you think? Are you a big Justin Theroux fan? I feel like I've really mostly known him through pop culture. Mm. And of course, like Jennifer Aniston, whatever. Yeah. Um. So I haven't had a chance to see much of his acting chops up till now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he carries off the charisma quite well, but, and then you see, like, the bravado. Yeah. And how it, like, sort of, like, flips back and forth between, like, from his son Charlie's eyes, like you're saying, like, of this hero worship of his dad, and then you, like, pan back a little bit more, and it's like, oh, actually, it's this guy who can't even earn enough to, to support his family, Mm -hmm. um, just, like, does, is not capable it seems of more than just like failed invention after failed invention yeah so that's a really interesting flip back and forth between these different viewpoints and like the way that justin throw kind of plays them Mm -hmm. um at some points i was like this guy is in his family like his wife also i was like they are too beautiful almost especially wife yeah, that's that's the thing about it. I kind of wish uh, that we, I mean, Melissa George, I, I love her. I think she's so pretty. But I do wish that we had someone that was a little bit more of a down-to-earth beauty. Like, the great thing about Carrie Coon in The Leftovers is that she's also stunning. But she is the type of stunning that you would find her stum- stunning in the real world. Like, you wouldn't look at her and think you should probably be in the movies, like, the same way that you do with Melissa George if you were to see her in real life. Um, mm. But... Yeah, that that was my only 
gripe with it in terms of the casting. I think everybody else is really good. Um, another thing about Margot, the, the wife, I'm kind of waiting for her to crack. It's really interesting. You'd think that the wife would be very, very much sick of his shit. But I'm curious to see their relationship unfold a little bit more over the episodes because yeah. she clearly worships him. And I don't understand yeah. where that's coming from. And a part of it is like, so her background is that she's rich. So when they met, she was she was a rich girl and then he was poor. And, you know, so much of that has the, the way that she kind of leans on him is probably because she, he presents something very different than the life that maybe she was running away from. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. It, there, there are points in the scenes with her, with her and Ali, where you see her face. Like they hold the camera on her face a bit, and you can't tell if it's like. It, I guess it's meant to present that the gears are turning within her, where she's just trying to like slowly convince herself that he's right and that she should mm-hmm. just back him. But that pause, the pause is where I, you know, I'm inter- I'm fascinated by. Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes because you know yeah. with the kids you've got Charlie who's like completely committed to him and then you've got Dina who is skeptical of him and then the wife in the middle is just I don't know what's going on with her basically just, yeah kind of an enigma so far yeah um, I'm also really interested in that is like a central mystery of just like how much of it is kind of like almost Stockholm syndrome and mm-hmm. how much of it yeah. is just like yeah pure devotion to him through love and through like ideological like compatibility like she seems to really buy into what he is saying a lot of the time yeah you see like dina you know when she kind of makes her decision you know whether or not to side with their family or not she suddenly has like this almost like this rehearsed kind of spiel about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. consumerism and basically kind of reciting her dad's ideology um which i thought was also interesting because it's like yeah again is that like has it just been drilled into you over the years or is it something that you are even capable like do you have the autonomy to like commit yourself to that yourself right um, or has so, this been retroactively fitted because of the crime that you committed and yes. your reason for going off the grid so yeah. it, that's a, i mean after episode two we still don't know what it is that he's done the kids don't know what it is that he's done uh-huh which I am obsessed with. Like, I feel like they're probably not going to reveal it until, I mean, is this seven? I think, yeah, it's seven episodes. I feel like they're not going to reveal it until episode five, um, oh which is smart, you know? So we'll <laughs> keep that going. We, yeah, just keep it going. Um, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. I think the only thing that is a little bit awkward to me, uh, speaking of consumerism, is the fact that this protagonist and his family subscribe to the notion of anti-capitalism and this is on apple tv (laughs) (laughs) and um it's not to say that like anybody that has ever had an anti-capitalist thought uh or decided to make something about an anti-capitalist character through film or tv is a hypocrite because they're making it through a big studio or a big tv channel it's got nothing to do with that it's specifically to the fact that ali talks about how gross consumerism is Mm -hmm. like how disgusting it is specifically within america specifically within products so he talks about you know walking past a tv shop and seeing all the different types of tv and all he sees is future junk um apple and its products there's something new coming out once every two years yeah they're a huge part of that and You know, we all we all know the myth that every time a new product comes out, the old ones start fucking up. <laughs> yeah, like there's something happens with the software. Planned obsolescence. Yes, which again, I don't. I mean, some tech reporter can tell me if that's true or not. But 
it, you can't help but think like, what's the point of producing so many new types of products if you don't want the previous products to become obsolete? You know, how how else are you going to make your money? So it's just it's really interesting <laughs> seeing that on Apple TV, and it just. I don't know what's going on with the self-aware TV these days, man. Like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for example, I've been watching that and that has been trying to do something about, you know, American idealism and American heroism and what that means in the global setting and the global stage. And they've been trying, like, again, great attempt, beautiful gowns, but I don't know if it works because of who it is that's doing it, because that's Disney. You know, and I don't know what it means to be self-aware in that sense. And it feels obsolete. It really does. Um, It's almost like like self-absolution in a way, right? Yeah. If they can just give a nod towards this, a wink here and there, like the the smallest hint of this, like it's enough and they can be like, we have done our duty. Like we are seeking to inform and enlighten people while also they still carry on doing what they've always done. Yeah. Which, as we know, with anything, even on a micro level, like just because you say you're aware of a problem does not fix the fucking problem, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't, I don't know where that's going, you know. Like in the in the last couple of years of wokeness, you know, Biden era TV. I don't know, like post Trump or whatever the fuck it might be. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know where it's heading. But it's interesting to see these things get produced and made and written in. I will say, at the end of the day, just fucking like if this is something that you're interested in. The TV show should not be where you are introduced and then you finish up on these concepts. Like, you should just read theory. And like we've said this before, it's not up to entertainment to do all the work for you. It's nice to, you know, for TV and film to play a role in awareness and bringing awareness and and highlighting and telling stories for sure. Um, but it should not be your be all end all of yeah, understanding they not the- be your only reference points. Yeah, yeah. So if you listen, if you want to read about, you know, anti consumerism and the, the woes and the problems of American capitalism and globalism, by all means, I'll pull up a reading list for you guys to get into. Again, like it's hip, it's kind of weird to watch it and awkward to watch it on Apple TV, but it's interesting at the same time, you know, like I, I do find it fascinating that someone that is on the run from the American police state, basically, like the federal state, is also someone that is subscribing to that. Again, we don't know if it's the chicken or the egg in this situation. Yeah. So And also like unclear so far, like whether or not he's gonna end up being portrayed as primarily like a nut in a yeah. cult leader, like like a the like purely like we're supposed to look at him with like disdain and mm-hmm. not take anything he says at face value. Or if he's gonna be like someone who gains a little bit more sympathy and well-roundedness and we're like okay yeah this guy has a point yeah Um, i'm i'm not sure yet where this is heading and so much of it is rooted in his crime right yeah so that's that's why i'm curious yeah i'm curious about that i'm curious about his crime because you don't again like yeah you don't know whether or not his anti-consumerism is part of the anti or the hero part of his anti-hero um but i am i am interested to see how all of this unfolds. You know, this is a very high octane drama. Like it's very tense. Even in the first yeah. two episodes, we've got car chases, we've got standoffs. Like it's all happening. If you love like Sicario, this is extremely your shit. Um, but I am interested to see how they let some scenes breathe a little bit because it will need it eventually. We do get it at some points, but there's still something very, very, at every single scene, there's still something very instrumental that's happening. Um, mm. And I would just like those scenes where we are simply talking um, 
about nothing in particular, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm subscribed to this. Like I'm in. So <laughs> I'll be I'll be watching it. Um I think I'm also gonna keep up with this. Yeah. Like it does not hurt at all that it is very it seems to be pretty high budget and it looks oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that is definitely a, a visual treat extremely a film every episode basically like you like there's just no way around it it looks incredible the huge landscape shots of like the american vista basically like the american landscape love those because you know it goes over hundreds and hundreds of cars it goes over like dumps and again like it's it really kind of ties nicely in with ali and and whatever it is that he's saying and you know they're putting in those dollars and they're making it work and it looks fantastic and i love justin through and i always will um call me if you ever need a wife um <laughs> i've got space for another husband this week in culture benifer is back <laughs> finally yeah. finally Thank God. I guess some people have been waiting for this for a long time. Yes. Especially after JLo and A-Rod split. So, yeah, there have been reports and there are pictures um, of Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck hanging out. Yep. Quote, unquote, hanging out after um, she obviously split with Alex Rodriguez. So, you know, spotted in the same car together. And Ooh, A-Rod is hot. <laughs> he is hot, bro. I don't know. There, I don't really have anything more to say about this, except it seems like we truly are pivoting back to the 2000s, mm-hmm. both in terms of in fashion, in like general trends, yep. in in style, in culture, and I especially this like celeb culture. I guess. Yeah, I mean, everyone the the whole the whole problem with you know the thrift shopping that a lot of Gen Zs have been um, you know wearing all the clothes that we used to wear back when we were 12 and 13 or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm oh happy for God. them. It's weird, but I'm happy for them. It's not like this doesn't happen every five to ten years with yeah. any given generation. It's none of my business. I don't care about a bunch of 13-year-olds and what they're doing. Um, I already lived through it, and I'm happy for them that they are discovering uh, low-rise genes, and I hope they don't develop the eating disorders that I did back in that day uh, to try and fit into those clothes. Anyway, this is fantastic. Like, I know that... Let me t- let me say something to gen- to any Gen Zs that's listening to this. You know, you guys have Kim and Kanye as as like the corny creative couple that are a match made in heaven or whatever the fuck it is. And you know, rest in peace to that relationship. But you know, for us, this was it. You know, Gen- Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck was it. They were both at the height of their careers when they got together. They made a bunch of films that were terrible. Uh, he was in her music video, and that was one of the most iconic music videos of that moment. And I'm just, I'm just so glad that we're circling back to this, man. Like, I think they both need each other, low key. I'm trying to like psychoanalyze them, you know. <laughs> and I really think that this is it, man. If they, if they get together, they're staying together until they die. That's kind of, that, I'm saying that right now. <laughs> oh my god. So I'm very, very happy that this is happening again. You know, we all lost it when we saw those pictures. So, you know, Ben Affleck knows what he's doing, man. He, he really does. Guy in, in charge of his own life. Mm-hmm. You really got to admire that about him. Yeah. And also funny, the shirt he was wearing in one of these photographs. Of course, what else? It's a Boston shirt. Of course. Very on brand. I love that. Repping his set, baby. Yeah, I just love it. I love that he's like, you know, I put on a couple pounds. This water retention is really fucking killing me right now. But you remember this dick, don't you, Jen? Oh and she God. was just like, fuck, yeah, man. <laughs> fuck. 
yeah, good for her, man. Good for her, good for him. Um, but we'll see where this goes. Obviously, we could be getting excited for nothing, but... But we'll see. You have issued your your prophecy, and we'll see where that goes. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's it for us this week. Um, If you are watching anything you think we should check out, let us know. We're at criticismisdead at gmail.com. We're also at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can also find our substack, criticismisdead.substack.com, where we include, like, show notes links um extra tweets or whatever i don't know uh yeah that's basically it thank you so much for listening as usual please rate five stars on apple Podcasts. thank you um yeah thanks so much bye everyone Gigi two let's go <laughs> criticism is dead is produced by pelinkeska new at jenny Jijan. our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew Lou. 